Gig Gab, the show for working musicians, episode 240 for Tuesday, January 21st, 2020. Greetings, folks, and welcome to or welcome back to Gig Gab, the show by, for, and about working musicians. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in San Jose, California, Paul Kent. Mr. Kent. Mr. San Jose is what I was going to call you. I don't know why I was going to call you Mr. San Jose. You've lived there for like three weeks or something. So yeah, maybe a, li- a couple months. Maybe yeah. a little longer than that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I haven't I haven't gotten a title yet, so I, I think that would be premature. It's premature for me to. So okay, maybe we'll check back in a year to see if you become Mr. And Los Gatos. I own that town, though. Yeah, that is true. You were you were you are still quite the uh, the 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 celebrity of Los Gatos there. <laughs> uh, hey, you know, last week we talked about. Uh, song selection and sort of the the it, what a dynamic that is. And if you haven't heard that episode, go back to 239 and, and listen. Uh, Sean, keyboard player from the band The Insiders, which actually, as an aside, you should go check out their website, theinsiders.band. It's a great website layout. And they've done this video I've always I've always liked the idea. I don't know how practical it is anymore from an audio standpoint, uh, it, I, but in previous bands, I found that doing a snippet audio uh, reel, like four minutes long, 20 to 40 seconds per song of the band playing, you know, kind of the things that are representative of you. That was really helpful back in the day to get to get gigs because nobody wants to listen to your band play entire songs. Usually, you know, they, they've got like five minutes. They've done that in video form. And and they did a really nice job with it. So it, that alone is worth checking out. So I will put a link in the notes to the insiders. The insiders. Dot band. Dot band. I know. That's the other like sort of tip here is maybe we all should be going and registering our, you know, band name dot band URL. I didn't know there was a dot band. I've been waiting for dot music to actually happen. Mm. And there's all these politics around dot music. But dot band, I did not know. Yeah. I You know, I did know about it. Did I go buy fling dot band? I did buy fling dot band. I feel so proud of myself. You can go to fling.band. Look at that. That must have been one of those late night kind of like, "Ah, I have an idea, you know. Uh, So anyway, yes, he is uh, the keyboard player. I I think he says he's a keyboard player. And then he gave a link. So I'm assuming he's a keyboard player in that band. Cool website. Look at it now. I know. Yeah, they did a good job. Um, So Sean wrote, uh, he says, onto the subject of picking songs. For many of us, part of the satisfaction of being in a band is the energy and effort that each member contributes to the cause. In my band, we all contribute songs for the set list, which gives us a chance to learn about each other and to feel equally invested in the product that we're putting on stage. In our case, the band is a side project for people with families and careers. So having a high level of personal engagement is critical to our existence. However, we are a working band, so we do have to counter this with some guidelines that support our business goals. And those guidelines, Sean says, are you should pick a song you like. It should be a song people can dance to. It should be a song people recognize. And number four, if we aren't feeling it after a few rehearsals, we take a vote on keeping it or shelving it. He says this is also a great exercise in compromise and maintaining a pro attitude because you'll inevitably have to bring the rock and roll to a song that you don't like very well. The drawback to this approach is that as your catalog grows, it may suffer from a lack of curation. When this happens, we try to identify areas of the set that need help and throw those into the selection guidelines. I can see how a band as large as the House Rockers might need a little bit more overt leadership into this type of thing. But for a four or five person band who's already chosen to play together based on common tastes, crafting a set list together can be very successful. So thanks for that, Sean. Yeah. No, that's that's a good perspective on this. It's good to remember why your band exists. And and there, as Sean points out, there might be multiple reasons. In fact, there likely are multiple reasons why everyone chooses to be in a band together. So, yeah. Yeah. So I just have a few thoughts about that. What Sean shared is wonderful. I mean, there's an underlying assumption there that your band can can communicate and can uh, work through know, sometimes disappointing information in a constructive way. Yes. If you're a band of friends 
and you can do that. That's cool. That's true. That is the that is the foundation of Sean's thing is that you need to be able to have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, again, you ever played a band where a guy was like, we got to be able to talk about the difficult things. We got to call people out. That's what rehearsals are for. We'll all get better. You know, we got to say some you know pointed things to each other. I have. So that 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 mentality, even stated in that way, somewhat assumes that at least one person in your band is okay with a certain amount of aggression. Right. And, you know, if the other three, four, five, nine guys are not okay with, you know, that colors a tone. And if you have a couple people that are like that and other people are not. So the, the premise that I hear in Sean's comment is that he has a band of friends that have come together with common goals, common understanding and good communication that, that may or may not be someone else's band, right? That, you know, it's, no, it's, it's true. It, yeah. 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 We have that. It's funny. We had a fling rehearsal last night where we were, I guess it was, I'll call it more of a song uh, evolution session. And, it, you know, Russ brought in, oh, I hope he's okay. I'm sure he's okay. Well, I hope he's okay with me telling him this, but I'm pretty sure he is. Uh, he brought in a couple of songs and one of them, we played through it and it went well. And I said to him, like, man, those lyrics, those are not the, the, uh, I forget how I said it, but they just weren't at the level of, uh, uh, if evolution or maturity that I'm used to his lyrics coming in with, like these were, they felt really raw and they were a little on the nose for the, the subject of the song or whatever. And I said that to him, you know, and, um, and he, his response was, well, yeah, he's like, you're absolutely right. I wrote those in five minutes. You know, I haven't gone back and edited and crafted and, and all of that. And it was like, oh, okay, cool. And it reminded me of a business project that Russ and I had worked on several years ago where we were with a website designer of all things. And Russ had some idea for the website. We were just going back and forth. It was a collaborative session. And he had some idea. I'm like, dude, no, that sucks. And the guy that was in the room was like, whoa. Like, is it okay that he just said your idea sucked? And it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and he's like, you guys have a lot of love between you. I'm like, well, that's exactly what it is. Like, we've been in a band together for 10 years. We are okay with community. We know that there's no, that that sucks was a term of efficiency, not a, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, it it was, it was, that's all it was. It was just, that sucks. That's an, and he, if he disagreed with me, he would have, he would have said so. But as soon as I said it, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, that does suck. You know, okay, okay, great. Like, move on. That it was not a, a, a categorization of him as a person or, you know, or it's not it, personal. It was not personal. No, no. But, but you don't get that. The point is, it, you know, that business meeting was after him and I playing in a band together for 10 years, right? You don't get that kind of trust on day one. Even you build it. You build it. Right. And so it, and it was not there on day one. Like, you, you know, you have to learn to evolve. To be fair, Russ brought us uh, several songs last night, but the, the second one that he brought, we finished it. And I'm like, okay, holy crap. Like, those lyrics are amazing. He's like, well, I spent a little more than five minutes on these. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so you have to kind of be willing to go on both sides of those things, right? Like, you know, if, if you're going to have, I think, if you're going to have those communication uh, sessions where you're willing to be, sort of ruthlessly efficient in your uh, in your language and and what you're saying for in the interest of improving things you also need to be just as ruthlessly efficient with the kind things you say uh and, without a doubt without a doubt it just needs to be the conversation just needs to happen regardless of what the the feeling is if that you know or the judgment is if that's a if that's the right term. and also I, the one of the things that Sean had shared that um <clears throat> Has be is becoming more of a thing in our band is this concept of how long you're going to give a song, right? How long you're going to give a song to to be learned? How long you're going to give a song to kind of find its juice in your set before you you know you can agree that it's not working? But I think that's a really productive thing that should be probably agreed on. I mean, we we are rehearsing a little less this year by design. You know, we used to go every every week. You know, from uh, January to May, and now it's a couple times a month and every once in a while, one of those a couple times a month might fall off for whatever reason. So, you know, we basically this year have got nine rehearsals before we get really busy and probably won't rehearse in the summer. So what are we going to do with that time is, you know, one of the things that, that uh, we have to be pretty honest about and songs that are just a lot of production, a lot of vocals, you know, uh, you know, any degree of difficulty needs to be, needs to be considered how long we will give it. And, you know, 
Russ, you know, it was funny. We, we were working on one song last year. I can't remember what it was, but it was taking a long time. We were into our third or fourth rehearsal and still not there. Yeah. And then, you know, just to kind of break it up, you know, there was one song we played once and it was ready to go. And Russ <laughs> was like, you know, so, so song X is worth, you know, 10 of song Y's, you know, that's a, that's a tough trade off to make. It, it, but that's a, but th- so there's that language of efficiency, like just identifying a thing. And that's not about any one human necessarily, but it is just a, like an observation that, you know, is valuable for us to have shared. And maybe you as a col- as a collective or as a leader, you know, you, you dictated or convinced uh, the band that, yes, this song is worth nine of that one or that song we got easy so we can take the extra four rehearsals we would have had for that song and apply them here because we want both to work. Right. Like, I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at that, but it is good to acknowledge those observations sort of in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it's kind of risk, risk for reward. Right. So it's, it's all right. This song is going to be something really special and it requires a little time and we're going to get high payoff doing something that's really going to get people's attention and really wow people or whatever your definition of payoff is, you know, there are times when that's a good thing to do. I mean, it, you know, make your band stand out from other bands, you know, if your reputation is for a band that can tackle difficult material or, or make, make really produced sounds come to life. Sometimes the risk for reward is there. you got to just have that conversation as to whether it is. Right. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So I, you know, what do we boil this down to? Communication is constant. Communication trust. is key. It's trust. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I had a, Thanks, I thought, Sean. yeah, thank you, Sean. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Good stuff. And, and do make sure you go check out his, his, uh, his band's website, which, which is in the show notes at giggabpodcast.com. And if you have a comment like Sean did email us at feedback at giggabpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. This is good stuff. It's in fact, great stuff. Um, I didn't mention it last week, but the timing of us finding out about Neil Peart's death was very interesting uh, from a just a the universe sort of uh, smiled as much as it could upon me. An hour after the news broke, we had family plans to leave and go see a Rush tribute band that night. We were going to see that band Lotus Land. And um, and they you know, I've seen them before. We've talked about them here. Uh, great band. And it was a really nice way to spend the evening, to be perfectly honest. But of course, even though I was, you know, in a, a, a tender emotional state and and listening to this music that I love by a band that actually can play it very well. And I was with my family. It was all great. And, you know, my I meant my my you know nuclear family, but also my rush loving family was also there, which was good. Um, you can't take the working musician out of me just because all of those other things are true. Right. They They all exist simultaneously. And. This band sets up like. Rush did. So um, the bass player plays bass. He sings all the he takes the role of Getty Lee, sings all the all the 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 vocals or the you know the lead vocals and uh, plays keyboards. And the way Rush used to set up is Getty would be stage left uh, and he had two vocal mics, one that was just sort of a standalone vocal mic for when he was just playing bass and then another one in front of his keys for when he was playing keys. And the sound guy at this particular gig, and I don't know if it's their same sound guy or perhaps the house sound guy uh, there, but he chose to, and we we sort of had seats that sort of overlooked the soundboard, but you could tell that this was happening by the mix. He chose to mute the unused vocal mics when they were not being sung into. And and there's two schools of thought on this. Well, there's three, I suppose. One is to do what he did, which is mute, and then of course actively unmute. Uh, the the second would be to just leave them all live all the time. And then the third is to ride the faders and bring the vocal mics down to say half, uh, but not turn them off. I am uh, of the school of thought, and perhaps just because I can be a distracted person. Uh, when I'm running sound, my school of thought is don't ever mute a vocal mic unless you are certain no one's going to sing into it for a very long time uh, for two reasons. A, uh, it if if you miss it and they go to sing into it, which kept happening the other night, the you would not hear what is being sung because it's muted. Uh, the other issue was that the vocal mic that was in front of the bay, the, in front of the sort of the, the, the standalone one when he wasn't standing in front of it would pick up lots of symbols from the drum kit, which wasn't too far behind it. 
And it was very weird throughout the night to hear symbols come and go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, you know, there is the overall sort of the, 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 um, so it's, it's an ambient mic when it's it, not being it becomes used for... an ambient mic. Yeah. And I've actually when I was doing sound a lot for the school jazz band, um, whenever there was a drum solo, oftentimes we wouldn't have an overhead mic on the drums. We might just have a kick drum, drum mic or, or whatever. And I would use vocal mics up front to pick up the drums to really amplify and maybe add some reverb for a drum solo and stuff. So you can get creative with stuff like that. Um, but it, you're right. It becomes an ambient mic and having it completely cut off. You know, and a mute button is unforgiving, right? It is it is a binary thing. It's on or it's off, essentially. I mean, I know that electronically there's really still some sound that might leak through. But um, generally speaking, in terms of especially with a live band uh, and lots of other noise in the room, a mic's either on or off. So to have that kind of, you know, um, that filter sort of cutting in and out. It was weird. And then it also caused a few moments. It wasn't terrible, but it was enough to notice it and write it down on my little pad that I keep, you know, in my phone for topics for gig gab. So my my um, my reason for bringing it up is just be intentional about whichever one you choose there. There is no necessarily no wrong answer to this. Uh, like I said, I have my preference, but my preference is built from, you know, learning how to live with yourself. Right. Like I know that I if I mute a mic. I will miss it. And it's what I will hear, though, is if someone because if someone's singing into a mic, if I'm not looking at the stage at the very moment that they go up to that mic, I don't know to turn it on. If I know the song really well, I might immediately notice that, hey, there's no vocal being sung. What happened? And look at the stage. But what I will notice is if a vocal is too low and then I will immediately turn to the board and punch it, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, so that's why I choose to never use the mutes in those scenarios. I use either just bringing the faders down or if I can get away with it and the sound is good enough, uh, leaving the vocal mics where they are, you know, and and sort of mixing on the fly. Uh, that's that's just me. Again, there's no right or wrong, but, you know, know what works for you and understand the risks of any of those three because there's no perfect scenario. So just wanted to kind of share my, cool. my thoughts. Yeah. Um, All right. But yeah. Okay. Are, are we? Uh, so we have two topics left for today. Um, mm-hmm. Whether or not we want to play it like the record, and then stage layout. Uh, which one do you want to do next? Um, no, I know you you wanted to riff on the stage layout concept. So let, let's let's start there, and, okay. and we'll leave the bulk of time for for my flag to wave. Yeah, I'm more looking for feedback on this. I can certainly share my thoughts, but. Um, it's stage layout. So traditional rock band stage layout has, you know, amps, drums, and therefore the drummer uh, along the back line and then the rest of the band along the front line. Often, if you've got more than like three, maybe four people in your band, uh, oftentimes that means that someone will be directly in front of uh, someone else, i.e., you know, a guitar player or a vocalist right in front of the drummer. And I certainly, you know, in the beginning of my playing time, I set up that way because it's like, well, that's what everybody else does. And I that evolved for for me over time, especially for me, because I I am the drummer. Right. So I realized very quickly that not being able to get the attention of that person that's right in front of me can be detrimental to onstage communication, which if you listen to the show, you know, is one of those things that I love. Uh, and so I, there was a conversation that came up in one of the various Facebook groups. I don't know if it was ours. It might've been like cover being confidential or something like that, uh, about how to set up on stage. And as I was sort of, you know, participating in this conversation, it hit me. It was like, you know, anytime I'm setting up with a band, my goal is to make sure that no one has to turn their head more than 90 degrees from their default station to see any other person on stage. Now, that's not always possible, you know, depending on how many people are in the band and or the just functional layout, the physical layout of of whatever is defined as your stage for that particular show might mean that, you know, you got to be on top of each other. And it's like you just got to deal. But, in a you know, my my thought in a perfect world is always at least to start with the idea of is there a way we can set up so that we can all see each other and on those gigs where we can it definitely makes a difference, you know, being able to really like visually communicate and just catch an eye, you know, uh, with somebody at one point or another can really make a difference and keeps it from feeling disconnected 
Um, so I, I, you know, this is one of those things I'm curious as to how everybody solves this problem. And so, you know, again, feedback at geekgabpodcast.com, but, um, thoughts about it, you know, um, am I the odd one out that feels like this is an important thing or, or is everybody else? I, I can't really? be too terribly much help. I mean, I, there are so few stages that we can even get people in two rows, much mm. less one row. So, right, right, right. But, you know, and there's ways around it. Like, you know, you can, you can create a. You know, I we've done it. I've done it with larger bands um, with the well, there's two ways to, to accomplish it. One is if you want to have the, the visual uh, or need to have the visual layout of the drums being center, you know, upstage center, um, thinking about the stage in terms of semicircles. Right. And and carving a spot out in the middle of the stage so that no one person is in front of the other. In fact, stagger not, not just the middle of the stage, but staggering your semicircles so that if someone does need to, if you do need to have multiple rows, there is no one person that's directly in front of another, right? That's one way to do it. The other way that um, I certainly stole from, uh, they don't do it anymore, but back in the nineties fish set up with drums, full stage left, basically aimed across the stage. So with the drummer to his, uh, with the crowd essentially to his left uh, might have been angled a little bit more, but, but essentially that, and then the band just across the stage keys on the other side facing in. So you've got everybody that way. We do that a lot with fling and honestly on shallow stages, it works out really well uh, because then everybody fits and it works really well. And sound wise, it really has never been an issue, even in small rooms, not to have the drums, you know, dead center stage. It, it all seems to just work. Uh, from a sound perspective, but that's so that there's a couple of ways to think about it, you know, and just kind of trying to get creative with, okay, where do we place things so that everybody can see? That's um, just, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. It's easier with in-ear monitors because then you don't, yeah, have to, I can't offer too terribly much. Like I said, yeah. just physics <laughs> space mm. and capacity are hard for me to add too much to that. Um, I mean, although I'll guess when, you know, I've certainly done some, usually drums are in the back. Yep. Um, but uh, I have done some things where, uh, small like trio stuff where everybody's in a line and I don't know the turning around to signal something doesn't seem to be bad the drummer seems to get a lot of good information by being the one guy in the band who has that vantage point to be able to see everything I, I do want I to see everything I, yeah, yeah yeah for sure oh that yeah 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 <laughs> yeah for sure that's a good point yeah 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 it it's not terrible in the sort of what you know the classic configuration but it it is better, almost universally better, uh, from my standpoint when when it's set up so that everybody can see each other, you know. So uh, you know. So anyway, let us know what you think. All right, Paul, bring us to uh, what yeah, is likely so to be our final topic for today. This is um, actually a follow up to last week's conversation. So I wanted to share that uh, you know I was talking about the the song selection and the. And the process that our band has gone through with, you know, for the first time, kind of letting the reins out, letting everybody submit things and the the good and bad, you know, or, or, or you know, less good and, and less bad that, that came from that process. And I thought about it a lot. And I was kind of thinking about that corporate gig that we did where we were playing for a specific audience, you know, at a corporate gig. And the reality that that more corporate gigs is one thing that everyone in our group would would want and weddings basically more pay right. and i i'm keenly aware like i'm going to think about sean's conversation here like what is your band's goals right and as i've shared on several times at least half my band actually more than half my band right now fully make their living from music and gig money is really important it's not just a for fun thing I and mean, we have fun and we do play club dates to keep playing and you know and during slower times of the year but um but you know, a lot of guys, this is their income. All right. So that in mind, having just played a gig where there was some, a lot of really good data to come from that, the uh, of the six or seven songs that, that this demographic knew they reacted to really strongly. Some of the older stuff rang a little bit of a bell and you could see they didn't not like stuff. It just really struck me that they didn't, they didn't know, you know, something like yeah, jet airliner. They just didn't know jet airliner. Right. Wow. Right. So this is in my mind. We go through, the band goes through this exercise. The songs are submitted. The singers get to choose of the songs that are submitted, things that ring with them. Um, then we go through that process. And then we get to our first rehearsal of the year. 
And um, I take a position with the band. I tell them I want to talk to them at the end of the rehearsal. And how I start this is like, guys, I want to, I want to talk to you about something. I'm not ramming this opinion. This is not an edict. This is a discussion. What I want to do right here is I want to sell my ideas to you and give you my reasoning and have you consider it. That, you know, as, as someone, if you are the, the explicit leader of your band or you are one vocal member, vocal member of a stated to be democratic band, either way, you are a leader. Right. Like the, I, I know this in fling. If I start like championing an opinion, it even though I'm not the leader of fling, it starts to it can easily be received as an edict. Right. You, you know, so th- th- what you did is a great lesson for all of us, like pre- prefacing it by saying, look, I know in your case, I know I'm the leader. This is not, a, you know, I am not laying down the law. I am exploring yeah. an idea and yes. yes, I'm passionate about it, but please tell me if you feel differently like it, that, that to say that out front is so good and so smart. There's a lesson here for all of us. So, well, good. Thanks. Yeah. 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 So I just wanted to create an environment where people could hear me. I did want to say, you know, that I think this is best for our band. And then I went on to proceed to explain why. And I said, you know, we have gone through this exercise for many years where every winter, we um, add fresh material, keeps us excited, and, you know, it's something new for our fans to hear. Um, uh, I, I, it, we've gone through the exercise. It's, you know, it, it has its purpose and it's everything. But I'm thinking about, you know, what is the real value of swapping out tumbling dice for brown sugar or the other way around, right? You know, at this point in time, we've got, we've got 200 songs, classic rock you know, classic seventies, eighties, funk and soul, a little bit of Motown there. And there, there's still plenty of good material we can mine from those eras, but what is the value and what are we, what are our goals as a band? And I'm thinking that if we really want to get this corporate gig and get these wedding gigs, do we have a repertoire that, that services that? And I think the last corporate gig that we just did, you know, gave us a bunch of information. So, I would say it's worth for us to have this conversation pause right here and right now and think about if we could add 15 to 20 songs in addition to what we already have, we'll basically have two hours. There's certainly plenty of stuff we can pull from that, you know, will work anywhere. Weddings, you get to entertain for grandma as well as the the bride and groom. So, you know, there's value in, in our repertoire there. But really, if we would like to do something different, um, if we would like to, you know, kind of lead instead of just continue to do what we've been doing, I advocate that we rethink this stuff and go back to the well and just start thinking about newer material. And, you know, it doesn't have to be top 40 right now, but it should be stuff that, you know, that people under the age of 35 are going to recognize and enjoy. And um, in general, the heads nodded. I mean, again, certainly the guys who were who you know want corporate gig and wedding money, they were they were definitely and they they have the, they interestingly enough have the least um, opinions about song selection when we went through the exercise. And I think you know there was a little bit of a little bit of I don't want to say jousting, but a little bit of a go around about the process to get to that and what constitutes that. And, you know, there was a comment, you know, should we add a female singer? And I was like, I don't ready to make, I'm not ready to make that big a, a decision to, to, you know, change the makeup of the band. That's, the, that's more than what this discussion was about, but we can do this. Now, the reason I bring this up here and now is because, then the conversation is like, well, we you know, man, a lot of the new music is pretty produced. It's pretty processed. Mm. And, you know, can can we sound like that? And, you know, a bunch of kind of like, how do we do it? I want to stop you right there because I because I think that's a different conversation. I mean, I realize it's related, but there's one thing I want to comment on with what you've said so far. And and that is, you know, your experience at this this most recent corporate gig where, you know, mid gig or at least post gig, you realize, oh, our set list wasn't quite the right song list for this particular audience right yeah um for weddings we and and really every gig that that we do with uptown uh 
we send them our entire list. I don't it's not. I know that it's not quite as big as as the House Rockers list, but it's bigger than I know. And and by that, I mean, there are songs on that list that I have not played with this band before. <laughs> sure. Because they come up occasionally, you know, and it's just like I see them on the list. It's like, we're, oh, we're playing that. Have we ever played this together before? And I'll ask that at, you know, like soundcheck and the people will be like, oh, yeah, we used to, you know, and then there'll be some story. It's like, OK, cool. Um, that's great. It's fine. Uh, but we give that list or, you know, Gary via or our, our manager now, you know, gives that list to the client. And lets them and tells them to pick 10 songs from the list that they want us to play. Now, these aren't songs they're having us add like they would for a wedding. That's a that's a separate thing. These are look at the list that's here and pick the 10 songs that you want them to play. Now, there's two things that that serves. Number one, it ensures that they're at least going to hear 10 songs that they want. But and we say up to 10 songs, you don't want to overburden your client, but you want to give them freedom. But what we're also doing is taking their temperature and seeing, okay, what songs resonate with them. And now we can build a set list that is those whatever, 10 songs, plus other songs that fit what we think they are trying to tell us mm-hmm. with with those selections. And it usually works out really well. Like, you know, we'll we'll get to a gig and Gary will be like, Oh, this is a, you know, this is a rock crowd tonight. So we should throw in the Bon Jovi and we should throw in the, you know, these kinds yeah. of things or whatever. And, and other gigs, it might be, you know, like all funk all night or or whatever. And that's fine, too. There are other times where we've gotten to a gig with, you know, we've got the information or not had enough of the information in advance, which will happen. And you get there and in the course of talking with the folks at the gig throughout the night, you know, before we play, it becomes obvious that we have chosen the wrong set list for tonight. And then it's time to like, uh oh, we now we know we need oh. to go into rock mode. And so yeah. but but for machine learning. Yeah, machine learning. Yeah, but but that's exactly <laughs> it. No, that's right. Yes, yeah, you're totally right. But find do that with those corporate gigs and and it's it's not a it's a very common thing as I've come to find out uh, with these. So it's a it's a nice little trick to employ to get people um to to make sure, you know, to set yourself up for success. That's all you're doing. Yeah. yeah if the if the goal is to entertain those people the more you know about those people's preferences, the easier it is to entertain them. So, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So I'll continue on that. Um, you know, there's this, this like, how do you make this produce stuff? How, how would we do that with our instrumentation? Sure. Good question. Yeah. I had one guy in the conversation actually said, you know, I can be all in with this, but we've had a lot of success being who we are. How are, how are we going to do this and still be who we are? Which is a really fascinating question to me that he had the concern. And that's actually why I bring this up for us to talk about now. I actually think that the art of being a cover band is different, much, much, much different now than it was when the genre began in the sixties. Right. Yeah. I actually think that, you know, the evolution of that, we are entertainers trying to keep, you know, one thing, trying to keep live music viable and the ability for, an artist to take license, not to the point of where you can't know what song it is, but impose your, impose your personality on it. Be your band, be what your band sounds like. I actually think that's better now. And I didn't think this when I started the house rockers, I was like, these are classic songs. Why would you want to change any part of them? And over time, as we've kind of gone along, you know, there are some songs that you, you know, I think are are required to always pay homage to in a certain way. But there's other song. I mean, think about it. Uh, Zappa did a version of Stairway to Heaven where the horn section played the guitar solo note for freaking note. It is mind blowing. I know. Right. (laughs) And, you know, we do uh, we've done for years a Supreme song that always gets a rise out of people. It gets people really excited. They don't say you can't do the Supremes. You're not the Supremes. We do uh, now a song by Jesse J called Domino. I don't know if you played that with us, but um, you know, it's a, it's a young woman pop song and we do it and it's fun. And people smile and laugh that these yep. guys are doing a girl song. You are, we are entertainers first. So all these arguments to me about, you have to do it in the original key. You have to play it note for note. To me, I don't think that that's the argument to have anymore. I think the argument to have is, is your band as freaking entertaining as it can possibly be? 
And if you can take material that people are going to enjoy and have fun with it, make it sound like you for your instrumentation to the greatest degree possible. I think there's essences there. there the, the magic in the sauce is the essences of things. You know, I have you know a couple guys in my band who really sweat very subtle details in a lot of the covers we do. I actually wouldn't miss them if they were gone, but you know, to them, that's the essence of what they hear in the song. And they go to the efforts to, to reproduce those things. But we add, you know, we've been doing this for years. We add horn charts to boys are back in town. I mean, you know, we, we have been tooling with, with covers in our own style for years. Yeah. That's, that's your, for, for lack of a non-corporate term, that's your brand. Like that's what I think so. That's what you, well, it's one of the things that you do now. It's important that the people that are booking you, especially for like private gigs, but really for anyone that they know that that's your brand. Right. You know, I mean, I don't think so. I, I just don't think so. I don't I, I don't think that you have to promote. We don't do it like the original. I mean, I think I think you play. You have you know, you have your 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 promo material that shows who you are and what you do. People usually book us from seeing us, which is, you know, you know firsthand experience. But. I don't think it's a thing. I don't think that the that the unless you're tribute band, which is a different conversation. That's totally different, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't I know though. So here here's the thing. Like I don't necessarily like it would be bad marketing uh for a for you or any band to, you know, if someone says, Oh, we're interested in booking you, or are you open mm. on the fourteenth? Like we'd really love to have you. We're throwing this party. Like if at that moment you step in and say, Now listen, you gotta understand, <laughs> you're not gonna hear what you think you're gonna hear. <laughs> right. Like that's bad. You you won't sign as many contracts with that. But but you also you wanna make sure that, like you said, in your marketing materials and your press materials. Materials, it's you, you are representing who you are and not hiding the fact that you're a horn band that takes things. You know, if somebody hired Frank Zappa based on him saying like if it was like a let's say it was an American Legion kind of gig, you know, like salt of the earth kind of people drinking clubs sort of thing. And they's like, oh, you play Whipping Post and Stairway to Heaven. You're hired right now. Zappa's on stage and there's Ruth with her freaking mallets. And, you know, you got Bozio with with 14 guys to bring his drum set in and and all of that stuff. Uh, you know, they're not getting what they thought they were getting. Right. If, You're giving an extreme example. I know. I, know. I would say for 90 percent of the listeners in any situation. If they can sing along with the chorus and hear the hook. They're good. Exactly. We're we're yeah. right now. We're working on that Billie Eilish song, "Bad Guy." Right. Mm -hmm. We do it in the same key. Um, we do the riff, but instead of it with a synth, we do it with a five piece horn section and guitar doubling it. I I don't think anybody will say, "Oh, it's clever what you did with that song." They will just have heard the song that they that they wanted to hear. And I actually think that there's so much license to be had there. Again. You know, if your thing is that you're taking familiar songs and you're changing them entirely where, you know, I just love the lyrics of it, but I hear this is a slow song instead of a fast song. You know, that that's a that different conversation. And there, you know, maybe there's room for that. I mean, I, uh, uh, many, many great covers by well-known people where where you're kind of buying into their artistic vision of how they kind of interpret the world. And they're just happen to be interpreting another song they like. That's a that's a different type of beast than what I'm describing here. What I'm simply saying here is um, some of the stuff, that, especially newer stuff, that has lots of elements of production. There is a path. And, you know, I spend a lot of time looking on YouTube for how people have interpreted music, live music, how the artist interprets his own live music. Some of this production stuff they can't do live. So what do they do to substitute um, when they perform it? Um, it you know, yeah. it's really informing for me as well. But my point to all this is I, I think that that boat has largely sailed on a large part of the music catalogs that we have to choose from today that, you know, the argument of a cover band, Ooh, they sound just like the original. I don't know how much of a, of a value that has. I think you never really sound that much like the original. I, unless I you're think, a tribute band. I think there's, so you're right that the, that no one would expect if you're getting a cover band for a gig, right. You know, and, and, and I'll, I'll throw uptown celebration in there. I'll throw fling in there. If you're, you know, hiring us to do covers or whatever, uh, the house rockers, certainly if you're hiring a cover band for a gig, you don't expect them to sound exactly like the original. I, I, I totally agree with you on that. I don't think they think about it is my no, point. It's right. I, it's not a thought. However, 
I do think there is a place for that, but just like there is a place for tribute bands, like there are cover bands and, and I'm not sure if there's still an active one around here, but, but there was a band around here for a while that build themselves as we sound just like the original. And they not only engineered their set list and all of that to be able to like to pick songs that they could sound like the original on, which of course is part of it, but like everything about the way they like the gear that they bought and used, they were using electronic drums. They were using every guitar player went one went through a modeler or whatever. There no, there were no live other than vocals. There were no live instruments on stage. There were no amps. Everything went through the PA, and it was really engineered from the core, you know, ground up to be. We are going to sound like the original, and that's a shtick. Just like the you know a tribute band thing is a shtick. It's a way to stand up. And say that you're different. That's right. Just like you with your horns is a shtick, right? I mean, it's, you're right. It's a way to stand out. It doesn't mean it's not good. It's just like that's a differentiator. It's like, oh, that's interesting. And they did a decent job. I mean, it, for my opinion, there's a reason I haven't mentioned the band's name. For my opinion, I went and saw them. It was like, okay, it's a little sterile. Like they were so and I saw them early in their in their tenure. So perhaps they evolved this. But um to me, they were so focused on that as their goal mm. that they hit that goal. I mean, it, impressively, very impressively. <laughs> but they were, it, they, you know, they might as well have been playing in a circle in a rehearsal room because there was no performance aspect to it. It was not entertaining. I think they did actually, you know, figure that out and work on that and all that stuff. But it's like, you know, you still like always be performing, right? Like this is, we don't say this just because it sounds fun, although it does. Uh, It's there for a reason, right? Like they did, they, when I saw them early on in their, in their gigging career, they they had not quite, you know, uh, in, 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 included that in their, in their uh, stage show. But, you know, but yeah, I like there's there's room for it. But but it's a different it's not the it's not the expectation. It is uh, if somebody says that in their, you know, in their promo materials or whatever. To me, that's like, oh, really? That's interesting. Like, that's different. Not. Of course they are. Right. So I think we're, we're in agreement here. Yeah. 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 It's tough. Right. It's a. It's, it's not tough. Just be yourself. That's what I'm kind of saying. I, I think yeah. the the joy, the joy in what in, in the evolution of covered music at, originally and for a long time, certainly, you know, in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, the joy of covered music was to see how close you could get to the original and make people feel that experience. I kind of think we're talking about music that is in especially older music. Um is kind of in people's psyche and it's embedded right or wrong the way that it's embedded. Right. And um, it it is okay with due reverence uh, of understanding the original to find the way that your band's fingers on your band's instruments can bring out the life for your band, for your audience. I think that that's a good thing. I think with newer music, you know, again, especially, you know, not the least of which is the issue that, you know, we're, we're older guys now, covering Justin Timberlake, Billie Eilish, right? You know, where is the, to, you know, for us to kind of like try to mimic the vibe of Billie Eilish, a 17-year-old girl, that'd be a little weird, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Hey, but-, but the song is a good song. I mean, you know, the song That's is it. fun. And, you know, the riff is, is you know, it, it just will get in your head. So if you approach it as it's music and their notes and, you know, and, but if you always, and so I'm going to put myself into this. I think that there's a lot more artistic expression that translates into a better show for your audience. That that's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Where I say it's hard is it's not, it, it takes intention and and really a skill. It's a developable skill. Some people are better at it just out of the gate than others. But to be able to listen to a song and know which of the things are what I'll call the hook. Right. Like where what what can you carve away and still have the essence of that song exist? And it, it might be, you know, oftentimes it's very easy to say, well, the vocal melody. OK, great. You know, but that's not always the case. Sometimes it's, you know, there's a guitar hook that happens yeah. or whatever. But not everyone is 
and I say this, not every musician is in tune with what that is for uh, for the majority of audiences. A lot of I found a lot of musicians um, will focus on the thing that makes the song important to them. And sometimes that's, you know, let's say, and I'm not using any examples here that I can think of, but let's say, you know, someone's a guitar player and it's like, oh, they really like that guitar riff. But really what sells that song is the vocals, right? You know, like to, to the rest, the, the song's popular for a reason. Um, oh, a great example, cocaine, right? Like that, the, the, the Clapton tune, mm-hmm. right? Like it is a great guitar riff, but, mm-hmm. but that song is sung by one of the greatest singers we've ever had. A lot of guitar players that come up just listening to Clapton never stop to think about the fact that Clapton is a great singer, you know, and and so it's Agreed. like oh, the, the vocals are just a throwaway. Like we just need somebody to sing them. It's like, oh, whoa, 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 pump the brakes a little bit here. That's what everybody's hearing, you know, like the, that really it's both. You, you, you know, I think with that song, you need to have the guitar riff and the vocals need to be delivered with conviction. Uh, you, you, you can't try to sound like Clapton just like you can't try to sound like Stevie Wonder, but you've got to. You know, you got to deliver it with that same conviction that those guys did. Uh, what was the song you just um, shared with me on Facebook that there was like a ska version of something that oh, had horns in it? Real Big Fish does a ska version of Aha's Take On Me. Uh, and, right. And they take the the the, the dun, 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 dun. they they put that with their horns. I've got a three piece horn section in that band. And. And and then, of course, the whole thing is just like, a you know, that that straight ahead ska kind of thing. And it's crazy. I mean, it's fantastic. They so I wonder, take, take 100 people, right? Yep. Out of 100 people, what, 10 would be like, oh, I love that song. How dare they go that far? You know, that they really yeah. ruined that song for me. 80 would be like, oh, they played that song. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then and then another 10 would be like, oh, that's really clever and inventive. Right. My like, guess is I, at a real big fish show, it's more like 70 would be in the clever and inventive category. No, no, but no, no, I'm just saying if I was to take that arrangement and play that song, yes. now I have uh, now I have take on me on my song list right. of the people I play for. Right. They could still sing along with the chorus and they would only remember that we played that song. Yeah. Now they the, would be the, like, oh, well, that's a band with five horns. They added horns to it would be about as much as they would remember of how we changed the song. So the trick but, is we have to apply the cocaine lesson here because the 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 red herring is the right. Like that's important. But if you can't sing, yeah, it's chorus. It, yeah. But if you can't sing that, you know. You know, like if you can't hit that, like the people that people are going to notice, they'll be like, yeah, yeah. So but but yes, you're totally right. As long as long as as long as somebody's singing the vocals and I think Real Big Fish, uh, you know, honestly, they they sell it. I think they do it with harmonies is how they they make that work, that that chorus work. But um, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. So my 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 mantra is. I think there's more magic in taking really great, solid songs that have great hooks. Yes, be smart enough to figure out what the hooks and what the important parts are. But don't be so hung up, you know, that you can't make it sound exactly like the original. Even the artists who perform them sound different live than they do in the recorded versions. It's it's about the hook. It's about the part that the people that people remember. And, you know, there is probably the bigger win if you if you if there's two doors to go through. One let my band find their way in the song and, you know, really take some joy and personal ownership and, and, you know, let it loose versus two, the value of let's sweat the, the every single detail of getting it to sound like the original. I would argue here that they're in most situations, not all, you know, no, and everything's black and white, but in most situations going through the door of letting your band find the magic to them in a, in a great song has way more upside for your audience. Yeah. 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 No, you're, you're totally right. Yeah. For a band like the house rockers, it, you should, you absolutely should play it the way the house rockers would play it. Now, I, you know, again, that, that there's a lot uh, packed into that statement. One of the things, perhaps the most important thing is once you sort of run it through that ringer, asking yourself the question as objectively as possible, does it sound good? Not, does it mm. sound like the original, you know, right. it, it, the, the second part is, are we adding anything to the, to the conversation? Here? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like, are we good at this thing that we just 
you know, sort of we took the answer it, will not always be yes. I the, mean, the, that's the thing is the answer won't always be yes. And that's OK. You know, it's like, oh, this song isn't for us. All right. Yep. We tried it. Even if we tried it at a couple of gigs, even if we tried it for a full seasons of playing, it's like, yeah, you know, like to Sean's point to kind of bring us back around to the beginning. You, you got to actively curate your song list. And it's really hard to, um, it, you know, it's really hard to take a, 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 a honest look and honest look at a song you've been playing for five years. Like, should we still be playing that song? And if so, should we like, is there anything about it we should change? Has it gotten too fast over the years? Has we, have we changed it in a way that like just evolved and maybe we should take a look and rehone or something like that? That's important stuff. Uh, probably a, worth a whole other show's worth of a conversation, but you know, Agreed. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Fun, man. I love these shows. It's, uh, I mean, I, I learn a ton. I really like I come into these, even if it's something where it sounds like I'm the one teaching the lesson, like I, I it, it, inspecting these things and dissecting these things is, yeah. is the to me, that's the value in it. So thanks for listening, folks. We, we definitely we appreciate that you appreciate our dissection that is not lost on on us here. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. We have anything else to talk about? We got to go to Nam next year, man. Like we could do a show from Nam. Yeah, or maybe maybe we go to Summer Nam. I don't know. Ooh, maybe that's an Nashville. easier thing. Yeah, Nashville. I like Nashville. I just found out I like Nashville. So cool yeah, place. I know. Agreed. So maybe um maybe that's a thing. Maybe we. Yeah, I feel like all the posts from this week. Every every year when Nam happens, the what is it? The North American Music Makers. Am I getting the acronym? Music right? Merchants. Music Merchants. Ah, that's different. Um, every, every time that, that and that makes sense because it's from the association. But every time that show happens, especially in January, I always feel like these pangs of guilt. Of, yeah, I should go. Like I felt that way before we ever started this podcast. Now that we've been doing this, it's like every year. I'm like, uh. You know, these industry, every industry is a full contact sport. So I feel like you got to go and press the flesh. Sometimes <laughs> you got to go get the Namthrax, as they call it. You know, the um, the sickness that everybody seems to come home with. Although I, I escaped CES without it. So, yeah. Maybe More fist it. bumps, less handshakes. Yeah, that's the key. There you go. More fist bumps, less handshakes. I like this. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do we have anything else? Good. Good one today. This was a good one. Yeah. Well, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, as we requested earlier in the show, I'll say it again. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com. We really do love hearing from you. As you can see, it catalyzes different conversations and different subtopics that we might overlook. And that's it's also fun that a lot of the comments we get are from, you know, we've had comments from Wisconsin, from Canada, from Italy, from Australia. You know, really, we're finding that cover band players from around the world share similar issues that they want to talk about. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right, folks, we will, uh, we'll see you next week. That's the, at least that's the, that's my plan. Hopefully that's, I'll be here. Same. All right. Take it easy. Always be performing. Thank you. I will. I will take that to heart. My friend in everything of life. 